Psalms chapter number 93, Psalms chapter 93, and Psalms chapter number 93, and we're going to read the entirety of it. It's only five verses, and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer tonight. Psalms chapter 93, and the word of God begins this way, verse number one, the Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established, that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here in your house. Lord, thank you for uh, those that have assembled here in this place. They're here because they have a genuine love for Christ, Lord, and we rejoice in that. We've come because we need to hear from you, Lord. We've not just come as a matter of form or formality or function, Lord, but we've come tonight because we need to hear from you. Lord, we need your word. We need your Holy Spirit to quicken the word of God in our hearts. We need for him to speak directly to us and minister this truth from your word in a way that would be for our good and for your glory. Lord, we love you and thank you for this time that you've given us. Bless our time together. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to draw your attention tonight to verse number three. Now, we're going to preach all of this chapter. As we said, it's not very long. But before we get into the preaching of it, I want us to set the context of what the psalmist is experiencing by verse number three. If you were to read commentators, there's really no consensus about who pinned this down and about what they were going through. Some people attribute this to Moses, some to David, and others still to Hezekiah during the time when the Assyrians were overrunning uh, the land of Israel. But we really have no idea who pinned it down. However, we do know exactly who wrote it. Amen. Uh, the Holy Ghost of God inspired this, knowing that you and I as believers would experience many of the same things that the psalmist is experiencing. You know, sometimes the vagueness of the Word of God is rich in its mercy as much as the detail is. If the Bible had told us exactly who and when and where had pinned this down, I might look at it and say, well, I'm not going through what they're going through. But the Holy Spirit, in, in allowing some ambiguity as to who the penman is, reminds us that the Word of God is, is pertinent for our day, for our life. Now, you may not be going through the exact same thing that this psalmist is going through, but I bet there's been times in your life, and it might be right now, there's been times in your life where you felt like he felt. How does he describe the period of time he's going through? Look at verse number three and think with me about the imagery that he uses. He says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. We get this and this singular glimpse into the experience of the psalmist here. But it's enough to set a framework as to what he's going through. This is a man, I don't think it's inappropriate to say, that feels like he's drowning. Uh, likely he's not experiencing that literally in life. But undoubtedly the troubles and trials and burdens of life are mustering around him and are setting up in formation against him. And as he surveys all of the responsibilities he has, all of the obstacles before him, all of the problems that he has to face, he begins to feel as though the troubles of life are piling in around, suffocating him. And have you ever felt like this in life? Like all your time was spent just trying to tread water. Just trying to keep your head from sinking under. Just trying to keep 
encouraged in the Lord. I wish I could tell you that there was some secret that I could give you where you'd never feel like that again. But it's just the nature, I think, of the human condition. And it's the nature even of the Christian's experience. I can't give you a secret that's going to make it go away, but I can give you some truth that will help you through those times. The psalmist is feeling as though he is drowning. And we notice three things about this. One, we notice the reality of his trouble. He says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. Now, again, I cannot help but believe that this is imagery, this is figurative, this is metaphor that he is speaking in. But certainly he's talking about real problems in his life. You know, I've always found this, that everybody else's problems usually aren't that big of a deal. My problems, no matter how small they are, are always a big deal. Uh, we've had a lot of folks here lately having surgery. And um, I'll tell you, some of you people, Sam, you're a trendsetter. You know, you, you have surgery. Next thing you know, everybody's having surgery. Or, um, I don't know, maybe Curtis started. He had back surgery. And then now it's, it's the hottest, latest thing. Everybody's got to have back surgery. And uh, I find that oftentimes when somebody's getting ready to have surgery, everybody, in trying to be encouraging to them, they'll always say things like this. Oh, listen, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Yeah, it ain't no big deal to you. You ain't getting cut on. Amen. Uh, surgery, when it's happened to someone else, yeah, it's no big deal, but it don't matter what it is, man. I mean, it, it's, listen, if I, if I get a bowl lance, I'm going to be on the Facebook page calling on the prayer warriors to get hold of the horns of the altar. Whatever it is you're going through, man, it's a big deal when you're going through. And the psalmist, whatever his problems are, to him they're as formidable as floodwaters that are creeping in around him. He's facing problems beset about on every hand with it. And I wish I could tell you tonight that your problems are going to be polite and line up in a single file line for you to handle them in an easy and uh, manageable way. But I'd have to lie to you to tell you that. Most of the time when troubles come, they come in multiples. Most of the time when the devil seeks to destroy our life, he doesn't just attack us from one angle, but oftentimes he will muster all of his power, all of his influence, and he'll try to assault us from many different places. And oftentimes it can just feel like you're trying to push out the floodwaters, try to get some relief in your life. I see the reality of his trouble. But it does not end there. He says this, and this is interesting language. The floods have lifted up their voice. One of my favorite things whenever we go to the beach, well, we don't go to the beach. Uh, we go to the ocean, amen. Uh, spiritual people don't go to the beach. They go to the ocean or to the shore, right? And carnal people go to the beach, but uh, spiritual people, they go to the ocean. And uh, one of my favorite things when we go to the ocean is to listen to the waves. I love to just sit and listen to the sound of them. And uh, they say that when uh, in some of these countries that experience tsunamis and things of that sort, that when a tsunami hits and a wave begins to breach onto the land, that people hear it before they ever see it. That the sound of the waters rushing towards them can sound like a freight train. Anybody that's ever been to Niagara Falls would describe the overwhelming, overpowering noise. It is absolutely impossible to even be able to speak at a normal tone when you're close to them because of the roar of that sound. But you know, funny thing about it, nobody's ever been drowned by the sound of a wave. It's not the sound of the wave that can harm you. But can I tell you this? It has just as much ability to unsettle you on the inside as the waves have to unsettle you on the outside. In other words, we see here not only the reality of his troubles, but we see the anxiety of his troubles. He describes hearing these problems approaching long before they ever get there. Can I tell you, I've spent too much of my life worrying about problems that God never let get to me. Things that I just saw prospectively heading my way and allowed it to take up real estate in my heart and my mind and my spirit 
But God spared me of those things. But listen, rest assured, in the midst of that trouble, even the prospect of those things can be enough to unsettle you. He speaks of the sound of these flood waves coming towards him, and it bespeaks the fear that is in his heart. But then notice what he says. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. Then he says this. The floods lift up their waves. Now, isn't it interesting that he would denote that specifically? I would say this, when you're treading water, a wave doesn't have to be very big to be a problem. But he describes this water as being full of these waves that are crashing towards him. And I found that, listen, sometimes, and you may have never experienced this, I bet you have, though, in your life when you feel like you're drowning and you're waiting for the clouds to break and the waters to recede, and instead it's like your troubles just double down on you. A wave is a piling up. It is a heightening of the water. And certainly if a person is already drowning, a wave can be enough to do them in. He's speaking of the intensity of his troubles. And sometimes in your life, when you think things can't get any worse, it's just about to. I wish I could tell you that it's always going to be just one problem and then it flees. But oftentimes in the midst of that, in God trying to develop our faith, To him, he will allow these problems to develop and intensify. Listen, we don't have to look any further than the book of Job. The book of Job opens with Job losing his children, losing his wealth, losing so many things, losing the confidence of his wife. And you say, well now, preacher, it can't get any worse. Yeah, until the next time Satan came around. And then it did get worse. Then all of a sudden he loses his health and he loses his friends. And there's this one-two punch taking place in the life of Job. Sometimes the problems that we face, it's not just that they beset us all around, but it's that they come at us in waves like the psalmist is dealing with. So he describes himself in this drowning situation. But it's interesting that this description is sandwiched in between a bunch of bold and and lofty statements about who God is and what he believes about the Lord. Could it be that in the midst of his problems, both before it and after it, the psalmist bore them because he remembered these things about the Lord? I'll tell you, what you know about God really starts to matter when troubles happen. Uh, What we know about God may not be that important to us when the sun's shining, but there's going to be some things you're going to have to have settled in your heart when problems show up. And the psalmist has these things settled in his heart. So I want you to notice five things that when you're going through this or when I'm going through this, five things that we need to keep in mind. Look with me at verse number one. The very first thing the psalmist says, I love this. I mean, the way he opens the psalm, he don't open talking about his problems. He opens talking about the Lord's providence. He says, the Lord reigned. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. Now, can I tell you what my tendency and your tendency would be when problems come? Is to feel like God had fell off of his throne. To feel like he's not as good as he used to be. To feel like his attitude towards us has changed. Hey, there's a reason that the Bible tells us in the book of James that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. But then he don't just leave us there. Listen, we like to believe God gives us good gifts. But then he goes on to say, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James is saying this, God's being good even when it don't feel good. God's not just good when things are going good. God's good even when things are going bad. Things are going bad in the psalmist's life, but he's reminded that the Lord is good. We could say it this way. The first thing we have to remember is the Lord's immutable person. Your problems did not change God. God has the ability to change your problems. He could do so at any time. 
But there's nothing that could happen to you or to me that could change the nature of God. The word immutable means unchangeable. It means that it's always the same. You know what the psalmist says? You know, God was God was in control before these floodwaters came. God's in control while they're here. God will still be in control one of these days when they recede. He says, one thing I'm not going to doubt is that God has all of a sudden turned bad against me. Job held this same confidence in the midst of his troubles. He said, hey, listen, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Then he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, he's not just blessing the Lord when he says that. He's acknowledging something about the Lord. He's saying, hey, he's a blessed God when he gives and when he takes away. No matter what you're going through, God is still the same God. And he's still as good a God as he's always been. Notice two thoughts here. One, he says this, the Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. You know, we tend to believe when our problems come that they happen because God lost control. It, it is a loathe thing to our being, to our spirit and our flesh to have to admit that sometimes it's the will of God for us to go through trials. Can I tell you, sometimes it's the will of God for us to go through trials. I don't like that any better than you like it. I like it worse for me than I even like it for you. But I'm telling you, it's the truth, friend. There are times when it is appointed of the Lord to experience hardship. And in those times, it's easy to yield towards the easy answer and say, well, God must have messed up. Well, if he did, that's the first time he's ever done it. If it is, you, you better start praying deep because that means there's no God reigning over the universe because if he messed up, he wouldn't be God. No, the reality of this, he's as sovereign as he's ever been. He's still reigning. You may not like the decisions that he's made, but he's still reigning. I, I didn't like everything that my parents did, and you probably didn't like everything that your parents did. Uh, but it didn't change the fact that they were still authorities in your life. And listen, God's in control whether we accept it or acknowledge it or not. He's as sovereign as he's ever been. He says, you know, even though everything's going sideways, I know that the Lord reigneth. Then number two, he says this, the Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. Not only is he as sovereign as he's ever been, but he's as strong as he's ever been. The things happening in your life are not happening because God lacks the ability to change them. He is the same God, has the same strength that he's always had. Now, we need to be reminded of this because we would all admit there's been times in our life we've called unto the Lord and he has answered with his strong and mighty arm. Times when he has changed things that nobody else could have changed. Times when he has removed things that couldn't have been removed. Times when he has given things that nobody else could have given. And if God could do that then and God never changes, why would we believe that he couldn't do those things now? Now, I don't say this to say God's going to make those floodwaters go away. I say this to say he could. And if he doesn't, it's because he has a purpose and a plan in it. So the psalmist is reminded of his immutable person. Then he's reminded of a second thing. I thought this was interesting. Look what he says at the end of verse number one. He says, the world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. Now, this is interesting uh, for two reasons. One, because... It appears on the face of it to be in direct contradiction to other passages in the Bible. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, the Bible goes out of its way to talk about this world as a place that can and will be moved one day. The book of Hebrews describes how that one of these days this world is going to be moved. It's going to be folded up like a garment. God is going to destroy this world one of these days and create a new heaven and a new earth. So evidently there's some context we have to consider because the Bible never disagrees with itself. So what's it trying to tell us? What's the psalmist getting at? Well, I thought about it this way. 
you know, when you're in the midst of a flood uh, experience in your life, and probably the, the best way we could liken it in our life is being in a swimming pool. Now, you may have actually been in a flood and, and you may have uh, experienced something like that. But if you're ever, if you're swimming at the lake or if you're swimming at, at a swimming pool, I don't swim at the lake. Too much nasty stuff in the water. Amen. But, but, and I don't swim in some folks' swimming pools for the same reason. Amen. But, but if you were to, to swim in a body of water, you feel like the world is moving out from under you. You feel as though you are unmoored. But now you and I both know it's not the world that's moving. It's you that's moving. And once those waters recede, guess what's going to be there just like it always was? is firm ground. The context here is figurative. And what he's saying is not, well, the Lord of the world as it stands is going to last forever. What he's saying is this. You feel like the world's spinning, but it's not the world that's spinning. It's you that's spinning. You feel as though the ground has been pulled out from under you, but that's not the reality of it. Here's the truth he's getting at. The ground below us won't fail. Now you say, preacher, what's he getting at? Well, the first is the Lord's immutable person. The second is his immovable position. And he's reminding us that the God that created all things, that by him all things consist. This world is going to exist. Don't matter. Listen, drive your V8s. Turn your, turn your air conditioning up high as you can turn it up. Drink water only out of plastic bottles. God bless you. Go ahead and do it. Spray aerosol in the air. I don't care. This world is going to last until God says it won't. The world does not end with some cataclysmic holocaust of climate change. And even the politicians don't believe that. That's why they all own beachfront homes. Amen. They ain't worried about the water rising. No, but the Bible tells us how this world's going to end. There's going to come a day the elements will melt with fervent heat. And it's going to come at the beck and call and command of a thrice holy God. Until that moment comes, ain't nothing. Hey, listen, seed time and harvest is going to continue until the Lord stops it. Sometimes in our life, it can begin to feel as though everything's just falling apart, as though there's no solid footing anymore. But the psalmist is being reminded that the same immutable God that reigns in heaven, the same one is the one that holds together this creation. By him, it consists. It's held together. And we may feel like, oh, preacher, there's no hope. You don't understand what I'm facing. There's no hope in the future. But listen, there's always hope with God. There's always hope with God. So the ground below us won't fail. But then he says this, thy throne, I like this, is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. So the ground below us won't fail, but the throne above us won't fail either. God's not going to quit reigning and ruling just because you're having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad year. It does not mean, hey, listen, don't you realize God's been sitting on his throne longer than you and I've been walking around? He, he was reigning before your problems came. He'll be reigning afterwards. We need to be reminded that the Lord, His His position is immovable. We may feel like we have been unmoored and untethered and are floating adrift in life's problems. But God's throne is immovable. His position is immovable. So He points to His immutable person and His immovable position. But then look at verse 4 with me. He says, I like this, The Lord on high. Now what do you do if you're drowning? You get to higher ground, right? He's the Lord on high. He's higher than the floodwaters. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. So the psalmist is reminded of his immutable person. God never changes. Of his immovable position. Your problems didn't disturb God from his authority and from his throne. But then third, he's reminded of his invincible power. That God is bigger than our problems. He's stronger than our obstacles. Notice, and we'll just sort of notice them in reverse here. Notice what he says at the end of verse 4. He says that he is mightier than the mighty waves of the sea. 
He's more powerful than the flood that you're going through. I love how the psalmist says he's on high. He's on high. He's so high that the flood waters cannot touch him. Now you say, but now wait a minute, preacher, then he don't know what I'm going through. No, he's going through it just like you are in his heart. But it's not disturbing his authority and his power. He is greater. He's why you say, preacher, what's he going to do about them flood waters? He's going to walk across him like he always did. It's no problem to him. The things that you're facing are not a difficulty to God. Now, sometimes that can be a frustration because as we're facing problems and we're begging God to intervene and to change things, sometimes it can be disheartening to be reminded that it would be no effort for God to change those things. But within that, we have to uh, we have to temper that with an understanding of the love of God. God loves us so much that He put Himself through the most unimaginable sorrow and suffering that any person could ever experience. For our sakes, He did that. God's not withdrawing or restraining from fixing your problem because He's afraid of getting His hands dirty. Uh, he literally became your sin that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He's not afraid of doing the difficult work of changing your problems. His entire relationship with us is predicated on His willingness to change the biggest problem that humanity has ever experienced, which is man's sin problem. God's not afraid to deal with our problems. But He's too sovereign and too providential to grant us things that would harm us just because we asked for them. The same way that you as a parent would not give your children things that they desired if you knew that they would harm them. In the same way, God's not going to give us things that would harm us just because we desire them. But we need to be reminded He's more powerful than those things. He's more powerful than the flood. Then notice what He says at the beginning. He says, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. And you say, well, preacher, why does he deal with the noise of the waters before he deals with the waves of the water? Well, probably because there's times in our life when our fear is doing more damage than the flood is. Probably because we could withstand the flood, but if we yield to fear, it's going to damage our heart and damage our spiritual resolve. And so he deals with them in that way. He's more powerful than the flood, but number two, he's more powerful than our fears. He has the ability to calm our spirit, to calm our heart. Sometimes we're ashamed to bring our fears to the Lord. Sometimes when we know our fears are unwarranted and we know that they don't glorify the Lord, we don't want to bring them to God. But that's the worst thing that we can do. Hey, God already knows what you're afraid of. God already knows what you're concerned about. God already knows what burdens you. So go ahead and just get honest with God. You may be hiding it from a lot of folks, but you ain't hiding it from the Lord. He already knows. So go ahead and just be honest with the Lord. So he mentions his invincible power. Then look at verse 5. He says, thy testimonies are very sure. What a precious statement that is. You know what he's reminded of? He's reminded of his incorruptible precepts. He's reminded that the things that God said that were true before these problems in his life are still true during these problems and will be true afterwards. One of the great difficulties when we go through problems is we feel as though we are in the dark. And we use that terminology in a figurative way. We say, well, I'm just going through a dark time. Well, what does that mean? Oftentimes what it means is we don't know what to do. But you know, the reality is we're never left without knowing what to do. We may not know what to do about our problem, but we always know what to do in our life. The word of God never changes. Wise man once said, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. We oftentimes are saying, now, Lord, I, I need I need direction. I need wisdom. Often God's already given us all those things, even speaking directly to our problem, but then even beyond that, to the general circumstances of life, He's given us enough marching orders to keep our feet moving. 
Uh, we may not know what, what is around the next bend. We may not know what is over the next hill. But he's given us the instructions that we need. So the psalmist is reminded, hey, I don't know everything, but I know that God is not a liar. Notice two thoughts here. One, he calls the word of God God's testimonies. Now, I've always been fascinated with the various words that are used to describe the Word of God. Sometimes the Word of God is called the Word of God. Sometimes, particularly in the Old Testament, it would be called the Law of God. Other times it would be called God's statutes. Other times it would be called God's precepts. But then sometimes, as in our text, it's called God's testimony. And when you think about what a testimony is, a testimony are the words of someone who has experienced something, who knows something firsthand. Not only that, but a person that is giving a testimony is someone that is speaking directly. It's someone that is proclaiming something. We could say it this way. He's reminded of the Word of God that speaks to us. In other words, God knows these things firsthand. Can I tell you, and, and I've had to be careful. I, I've, I, I've said this to people, and you know, there's some things you mean well, but you just say them and they come out all sideways and Listen, if you're if you're ever witnessing somebody that's in real foul shape in the hospital, don't ever say, if you died today, do you know where you'd go, right? They're already thinking about it, amen, and they're already worried about it. And and one day, the Lord just pressed something on my heart. He showed me something in the Word of God about God and His relationship to time, the fact that God is present in every moment of time. He's as present in your tomorrow as He is in your today, and He's as present in your yesterday as He is in your today. And the thought occurred to me, you know, when we come to a problem, the Lord is already at the other end of that problem. He's waiting for us to get there. He already knows how this all ends. Now, that being said, when somebody's getting ready to go in for surgery, don't tell them, now, the Lord told me that he's waiting at the other end of this surgery for you. All right? Sometimes that's taken the wrong way. But the truth remains the same. God is there at the other end of your problems. He can give testimony about how all this ends. When the Lord says, hey, listen, you trust in me, I'll work it all out. He's not just making a promise. He's giving a testimony. He's at the other end of what you're going through. He knows how it ends already. He knows the end from the beginning. His word is a testimony of his nature, of his character, of his promise, but also of his uh, foreknowledge and of his plans, what he has promised to carry out. It's the word of God that speaks to us. It speaks directly, and it is a testimony from God. He knows these things. We go through it and say, preacher, I just don't know what I know anymore. So lean back on what you do know. So it's the word that speaks. But then he says this, thy testimonies are very sure. The word that's used for sure here has the idea of a support. Of, of, a, of a pillar that is placed underneath something to hold it up and to give it support. You know, the psalmist is saying here, right now I feel like I have nothing underneath me, but I've learned I can recline back on the Word of God and in it I will find the support that I need during these times. Listen, it needs to be an active, deliberate practice of yours when it, every day. Let me not just not say when problems come, but it is all the more imperative when problems come. Man, you need to be in your Bible. You need to be reading it. You need to be listening to it. You need to be talking to the Lord about it. You need to be meditating upon it. Uh, when the floodwaters come in your life, the thing that's going to see you through is the immutable promises of God. So he points to his incorruptible precepts. And then finally, look at the end verse 5. It says something interesting. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Now, there's a few words here I think we need to consider. One is the word house. It could be the psalmist has in mind here the, the house of the Lord, meaning the tabernacle or the temple. 
But I don't think that's how the psalmist intends it. You know, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Moses being chief over the house of God. And, and when it talks about that, it's talking about it during a time. He talks about Moses building a house. And, and it's talking about it at a period of time in the history of Israel when there was no stationary house. There was no temple. There was a tabernacle which moved, but it was never called really the house of God. It was referred to as the abode of God, as the tabernacle of God. If we were going to call something the house of God in the Old Testament, it would have been the temple. But in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Moses being the builder of God's house. And it doesn't mean the builder of the temple. What it means is the builder of the nation or of the household of God. Prior to Moses in the history of the children of Israel, they were a bondage slave people in Egypt. They had no national identity. They were merely all the descendants of this same family that came out of the land of Canaan. But after Moses leads them out of the land of Egypt, then they are Israelites. Then they are a nation. Then they are a people. And so it describes Moses as building the house of the Lord. When it talks about holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever, I don't think it's talking about the house of God, meaning the temple, or even the house of God, meaning the New Testament church. I think it's talking about the household of the Lord, or we could use this phrase, the people of God, the people of God. Now, what does the word becometh mean? Well, we don't use this terminology this way very often anymore, but you might say to someone that that outfit or that haircut or whatever it is, that's very becoming on you. And what we mean is that's attractive. Uh, the word literally means something that beautifies or something that makes appealing. So now let's stop and think about it. What he's saying here is, holiness makes beautiful the people of God. Now, why would the psalmist say that? Could it be that in the midst of his troubles, he caught a little glimpse of what God was trying to do in his life? Let me say it this way. He said, preacher, what do I need to know in these floodwaters? Well, you need to be reminded of his immutable person that he never changes, his immovable position. Your problems have not disturbed him from his place of authority, his invincible power. He's as powerful now as he ever was, his incorruptible precepts. The word of God is true, just as it always has been. And God speaks directly from experience. But then I would say this, you need to be reminded of his irreplaceable purpose. What's God doing in your life and mine? I'll tell you exactly what He's doing. He's making us a holy people. Holiness is the chief attribute of God. It is the essence of God. When we talk about righteousness, righteousness is holiness expressed in character. But holiness, the value of that which is which is right in the eyes of God, that's the very essence of who God is. And God's desire is that you and I be like Him. That's why the book of 1 Peter says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. We're to be like Him. And you say, Preacher, what's God doing through these problems in my life? And I would say that rarely do we see the from the beginning the goal that God has in mind. Job certainly did not. Job, till he comes to the end of his life, then he understood. But early on, he didn't understand what he was going through. And you could go through trial after trial. Joseph would be another example. Daniel would be another example. You go all through the Old Testament, times in David's life, that they could not see what God was doing. But listen, you may not see it, but God does. And God's the one that you're trusting. Notice here, number one, the goal of God. What's the goal of God in your life? To make you a holy person. God's goal is not happiness for you. His goal is holiness. And you say, preacher, doesn't God want me to be happy? Well, sure He does. But He could make you happy without making you holy and you wouldn't be happy very long. 
Uh, happiness is about what happens to us. It's about our circumstances. It's not synonymous with joy. But I'll tell you this, holiness will give you happiness in your life. In fact, it'll give you more than happiness. It'll give you the joy of the Lord. And God desires for you to have a joy that is not predicated on the sun shining. Because there's going to be times in your life that the floodwaters come. So what God's doing is He is purifying our life. Certainly the psalmist could say that he was praying to the Lord, depending on the Lord, and yielding to the Lord in a greater way than he had before. And probably in your troubles, you're finding it easier to lean on the Lord as well. I see the goal of God. But then I see this. Holiness becometh thine house. O Lord, forever. Isn't that interesting? What's he speaking of? He's saying, you know, this is not only beautifying to us, but it's a blessing to the Lord. It's not just for our good, but it's also for his glory. You'll probably never in this life understand fully just how much glory God gets out of the things that we experience when we trust in him. One of these days, we're going to see it. We're going to see it with, 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 uh, with new eyeballs. We're going to see it with glorified eyesight. And we're going to see that the things that God's done in our life that we didn't understand at the time, God knew perfectly clear what he was doing. In the midst of your flood waters, lean upon the Lord. Don't forget about his immutable person, his immovable position, his invincible power, his incorruptible precepts. And don't forget he has an irreplaceable purpose. You can try to swim your way out. You can try to ask somebody else to drag you out. But if you'll lean on the Lord, you'll find that God will bring more out of it than just you. He'll bring good out of it as well. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. Uh, Father, I pray tonight that your people would do business with you. Lord, that they would take this word that's been given unto them and that they would be yielded and obedient unto you in these matters. Lord, we need you. We need you when the sun's shining. We need you when the floodwaters come. So, Father, help us to look to you. Help us to lean upon you. And help us to find in you the strength that we so desperately need. Lord, we love you. Bless this invitation. We ask it in Christ's name.